Please stand with me as we read God's Word to Redeemer Church on this Lord's Day. Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You may be seated. Valentine's Day has a, a strange effect on masculine men. Uh, if, just to illustrate, if, if Miss Alice Day were here, I'm guessing she could stand up here and tell you this, but I'll just tell you in her stead. Um, on Valentine's Day, a manly man like Kenny, masculine, strong, on that day, I uh, can just talk, maybe talk to his girl, you know? My sweetie, I love you so much. I, I just imagine this is what Kenny's doing. On days like we experienced this week. And it's because we, we've experienced this this week that I feel okay just making a confession to you. That when the Build-A-Bear workshop first opened up, Years ago, I took my then fiance uh, to build a bear. I didn't make a stuffy for my Kelly. Uh, she was going off to uh, college, and I thought she needed a Riney bear. And so we made a Riney bear. And you know, you you walk through and you pick out the bear and you you stuff it with whatever, and then you have to dress it up just so. And you're making all these selections for the just right stuffy. So we, we had to pick Riney Bear a soccer uniform because I played soccer and wanted to remember me. 
And I, I wanted to make sure before we sewed up that bear that I recorded this little audio recording that I, I hoped, I imagined, every night before she went to bed, she would hit play on, on his little paw and hear my voice. I realize now that I tell that story, it's not having the same effect as a masculine man becoming feminine. You may never have seen me in that light as being masculine, but I do tell the story because what if, what if, what if instead of a Build-A-Bear workshop, there was a Build-A-Pastor workshop? If you could walk down the line and pick all the things you wanted in a pastor, what do you think the characteristics that are most important to you. Because in this passage, that's exactly what's happening. On the shelf in Galatia are two different kinds of ministers of the word. You see this very clearly in verse 16, where he, he, he says, I'm the kind of minister who tells you the church the truth, but, but I've become an enemy to you. How is that possible? And then verse 17, he's, he says, they, they make much of you. He's talking about another kind of minister that is a different option to choose from. And right now, they're leaning in that direction. Now, you need to know, Paul is the one they need to listen to. And in this passage, what he says about why they should listen to him tells you what you should want in a minister, in a pastor. Obviously, you should not be wanting perfection. I mean, no no man is the Savior. But also, ministers of the Word are not unnecessary either. And that point is made very clearly here. What's interesting is the way that Paul describes himself Masculine Paul, as he describes himself like he's a mother, I am in anguish, the anguish of childbirth over you. I'm laboring over you. So, beloved, I want to encourage you, to whatever degree you come to this question, that you should want your minister to be motherly. Motherly. Affectionate concerned, as Paul is concerned here, at times even desperate as he is here. And I also want you to understand that if godly ministers are motherly, then you should know what God wants you to do. To put it in the phrase that I've titled the sermon in, listen to your mother now. You better listen to your mother now. And I've been told there's going to be some amens just from that line. Now, come on. Listen to your mother now is the title of the sermon. And this is what Mother Paul says to the church. Be done with the law. Or you won't get Christ at all. This is the message of the whole passage. Be done with the law. Or you won't get Christ at all. Listen to your mother now. And what uh, mothers are famous for, and this is not all bad, but mothers famously worry. And ministers worry too. So point number one, verses 8 through 11, 
Paul says, I'm afraid that they're going to enslave you. I'm afraid they'll enslave you. Paul says in these verses that the Galatians, just like everyone else in the whole world who does not yet know God, uh, we understand that to mean you do not know Jesus as Lord. Everyone in the world is who's in that condition, and the Galatians and this church as well, before we got into that condition, we were enslaved. It says in verse 8, we were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. He's using the language that Jewish readers, anyway, would have recognized as the language of idolatry, those statues that godless people who have this impulse, they've got to worship something other than themselves. They've got to look to someone more powerful than them. They would make these statues and bow down to them who are by nature and by in reality, they're not gods at all. Some man carved out that statue. Those lips that the that the man carved out and the idol cannot speak to you. Those ears cannot hear you when you call out to them. They're not gods. And yet, everyone in the world is inclined to what the passage calls the weak and worthless elementary principles. The inclined to worship because we were made to worship and we can't shake this impulse in us to live for someone greater. And even though we have that impulse to worship, our sin leads us to trust in things that are not God's. Lead us to the wrong God's. Lead us to worship the wrong things. And for most of us, you can see it very clearly in, in that we are worshiping ultimately ourselves or we're trying to find gods that will help us to, to think much of ourselves. That's why people are so addicted to money and, and pleasure. That's because they, they want to worship themselves and they think money's going to give it or pleasure's going to give it. This world is just as pagan as Galatia was. And Paul is saying to people who've been saved out of that, you better be careful. You don't go back to that. One one Christian said, worship is the most momentous. I'm going to say that again. Because I, I trust that in this room, many of you will agree with this. Worship of God is the most momentous, the most urgent the most glorious action that can take place in all of human life. And yet, what Paul is saying in these verses is there are consequences. If you go to the worship service of certain ministers, Paul is saying, I am afraid they're going to enslave you. If you listen to the wrong preacher, you will end up worshiping a different God than the God of the Bible. He's saying, why would you go back to idols? You who are in a Christian church, why would you go back by listening to 
them. How could you? Right after he has just said in in, in verses 4 and 5, how how God at the right time sent forth His Son to redeem those who were enslaved to the law. Jesus bled, beloved. He died. So that He can deliver you and me out of our slavery to sin, the debt that we owed to God. But He also freed us in this passage. What he's focused on is not delivering us from sin, but delivering us from being under the bondage of other gods. Of pursuing things and trusting in things that cannot help us. This is what he's been on about from the very beginning of the book. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. He speaks of Jesus initially as delivering us out of this present evil age. We still live in a in an evil age where there are weak and worthless elementary principles, there are things at work that everyone is inclined toward. And Jesus would free us from it. In these verses, Paul helpfully explains what it means to be saved. And I want to invite you, if you're someone who does not, is not committed to the Lord Jesus, to consider all that He offers you, even in in this this passage, and to turn to Him in faith. Listen, what does it mean to be saved? And First of all, He says, you have come to know God. That's what it means to be saved. You get to know God. And then He corrects Himself. He says, rather, you have come to be known by God. Now that word, when He clarifies that, you have come to know God, rather, you've been come... you've, uh, You've been known by God. What he's talking about is that God chose you. Because in Scripture, whenever it talks about the knowledge of God knowing people, it's Him choosing to save them. Choosing that they would know Him out of all the people who don't get to know God. This is why when Jeremiah was born, it says of the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I set you apart. I chose you. This is what it means to be saved, is that God chose us to know Him. But secondly, in these verses, it says that being saved means you're freed. Not to live however you want to live. Don't misunderstand this. But here you are freed from keeping commands in order to continue as a Christian. He says in verse 9, you were freed from these principles that would make you slaves. And those principles that are clearly explained in verse 10, your observance of certain days, months, these holy days. That they were starting to believe that they had to keep those days exactly right or they would not be Christians. Through Christ, beloved, God has caused us to know Him and He's freed us from having to depend upon ourselves to stay in God's knowledge. This is what He does through Christ. The surprising thing in these verses 
is that these formerly godless people, the Galatians, who used to be idolaters, Paul turns to them and says, you can become godless again. But he's not talking about setting up a statue to Buddha. That's not the kind of return to non-gods that, that he's talking about. He is saying, you will return to a God who is not God. If you just try to make your obedience keep you in God's good grace. You've been freed to trust in Christ's works. Don't rely on your works anymore. But then there's a third thing that Paul lists here as an explanation of what it means to be saved. Verse 11. And that is you have to persevere. You have to continue in the faith. That's what he means when he says in verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I am afraid that I'm telling you to trust in Christ alone, but that some of you are going to start going back to relying upon yourself and making up gods. And if that happens, all these labors are in vain. You have to continue. You cannot just initially call yourself a Christian and actually be a Christian. You have to continue and trust in Christ alone. So he says, be done with the law. Don't relate to the law or the commands of God anymore. As if it gets you to God or it keeps you in God. That is not the purpose of it. Be done with the law or... You won't get Christ at all. This is his fear. Of course, this is this passage has nothing to do with people who say they're Christians, but who avoid preaching. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to people who are serious. Who actually seriously want to know God, not like those other people. But because they're serious about knowing God, they know they need preaching. It matters which preachers they pick. Motherly ministers labor. It's the language of spending your strength like mothers would. Spending their strength and labor, not just to get people to start trusting in Jesus. That is not the goal of this church. Not to get you to start to trust in Jesus only, but to stay trusting in Jesus. Just like a mother is is not happy to just be pregnant. But they will exhaust themselves happily and painful labor to bring their beloved child to life. Listen to your mother now. I am afraid they will enslave you. Christian, let me remind you. Jesus Christ has freed you from the powers of evil. And he did that because God chose you like he chose Abraham. He chose Abraham. He didn't choose all of Abraham's siblings. He chose Israel. He didn't choose Egypt. 
And God chose you, and he doesn't choose everyone. And I can tell you, if I'm motherly in this way, you know, mothers do not like the influence certain friends have over their kids. And so Paul is warning them. I'm laboring for your salvation. Not just for you to profess faith in Christ, but for you to possess faith in Christ. I'm laboring and it's all going to be in vain if you just say you're a Christian while also counting on yourself. Be done with the law and everything that relies on you or you're not going to get Christ at all. This takes prayerful self-evaluation, but I'm going to ask you, what is it that makes you feel accepted by God? What is it? When you are feeling accepted by God, what is it that makes you feel that? That matters. How much you worship Jesus matters. How worthy you think He is matters. You observing laws and days and commands, or you will observe and worship and fix your eyes and rely upon Him and not yourself. It matters. Be done with the law, or you won't get Christ at all. But Paul says a second thing, and we should listen to him as the mother in the family of God, he says in verses 12 through 20, not just I'm afraid they'll enslave you, but I am in anguish to form Christ in you. I am in anguish to form Christ in you. As I said, he's getting very explicit now in comparing himself to the other ministers. They initially received Paul when he first came to Galatia, even though he was struggling with some physical ailments, and they didn't see it as burdensome, but received him. And by receiving him, received his preaching and received Christ. But then, something's happened since then. It says in verse 15, this question, what has become of your blessedness? Of that kind of posture toward the truth and those who preach it. Verse 16, have I become your enemy now? You reject what I'm saying now? And then it says what the other guys are doing. What they are doing. You see that? You see, if if the first thing he was saying was, this is how, this is the consequences that you will face if you follow certain ministers. Freedom or slavery. Here he's saying, Not just consequences, but these are the motivations inside those preachers. And the false preachers are encouraging them to depend upon the law 
And, and the way he describes that there is he said, they're making much of you. Or another translation says, they're zealous for you. Their zeal is for you. But then notice what Paul says about them. What are they motivated by? They are trying to make the Galatians feel like they're being made much of. Maybe, maybe telling them, you can do it. You can please God if you just do these things. They're making the Galatians feel like they're good enough. Why? For the purpose of making much of themselves. I understand why the biggest churches and the most popular preachers get to where they are because they make people feel good. They make much of people. They make people feel important. Now, in our day, it may be a little bit different than theirs. We've had this book of Galatians long enough. So preachers are not explicitly necessarily saying, you have to keep this law, this command in order to become and stay a Christian. But it is possible to be accomplishing the same thing. To diminish someone's confidence and trust in Christ, to diminish the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and to do so more craftily, more subtly. And they do it by preaching sermons about people. By, by wanting to manage the feelings of the people. we got to make them feel something. And it's all focused on your quality of life. And how Jesus, you know, pray the prayer, take care of this, but then He gets to work to make you happy if you'll do things His way. He'll offer you success. He'll give you purpose. And beloved, don't buy it. Because what they're saying is Jesus is some means to get something else. It's not true. This week I've been listening uh, to a Johnny Cash song on repeat. It's called The Man Comes Around. And there's a line in there that I wanted my kids to hear. I, I, I let them hear the whole song, but I'm going to tell you a line. There's a man going around taking names. And he, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There's a man. And he's going around and he's taking names. And he's going to decide who to free and he's going to decide who to blame. And not everybody's going to be treated all the same. And I asked my kids, do you know who he's talking about? And they all said, Jesus. And I said, yes. That was a proud moment as a daddy. They know he's the man. He's the man. And it's astonishing. That those kinds of truths, that, that there's more truths in that song than in a lot of sermons. He's the man, beloved. You're not the man. 
You're not the man. I'm not the man. He is the man. And he is coming on the clouds one day soon. And he will judge everyone who has not lived for him. He will crush them. It says in the book of Revelation, which that song is about, he will tread the winepress of the fury of God. He will crush them under his feet until they bleed to death. That's the image. He's the man. But he's not just the man coming on the clouds to judge men. Behold the man crucified on a cross to save men and women and boys and girls and anyone who recognizes you are lost without God and you need to be forgiven by God. Jesus Christ is the man who died for sinners, who loves sinners, who will take you and lead you. Paul is saying, be careful. Verse 17, look there again. And I want you to see this here. Man-centered sermons are preached by self-centered ministers. If the sermon makes you, if you're going to feel something for you, just understand what that guy's doing. Feel-good sermons. Look at what he says in verse 17. Feel-good sermons will shut you out of God's family. You've got to have a different standard for coming to hear. And so he says in verse 12, Become as I am, like I have become like you. What Paul is saying to these Gentile people who did not have the law is I have become like you in this sense. I am now living like I don't need the law to make me right with God. Just like you used to be living without any law, I'm now living. Not trying to please God through the law. Become like me. He's commanding them, be done with the law. You are no longer under the law. God is not asking you to please Him by your obedience. He's asking you to trust His Son who obeyed for you and to walk in a new life. Yes, there are going to be commands, but it it, it matters what comes first. And He's saying this to Christians who have been brought into the family of God. And then He says to them, you still need to continue. He said, I'm afraid. And, And beloved church, I am fearful For you, my children, because we are surrounded by a culture that brags about baptism and attendance and what they're saying by all their wins is all that matters is just getting in. That's what they're saying to you. You hear me. If you don't stay in the gospel, you will not make it. Be done with that kind of teaching. Devote yourself to gospel preaching or you won't have Christ at all. And so he says, become as I am and he means be done with the law. Stop living underneath it as if that's the way to God. 
And he says to do this so that Christ might be formed in you. Look again at verse 19. My little children. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Beloved, God saved us for this purpose. That language of him laboring until Christ is formed in you. God saved us to make us like him. That's his purpose to make us like him. And it was his purpose from from page one of the Bible. He made humanity in his image to be like him and to be with him. But when sin came, we fell away from that. And, and, and we didn't know God. We couldn't be like him because we didn't know him anymore. And we, because we didn't know him, we could not be like him. That's what it means to be lost. And I want you to hear the language that is used once Christ comes. Listen to what God wants. And listen to how he gets what he wants. Right before Jesus dies on a cross in John 17, he asked the Father, make them like us in the truth. That's what he's asking to be done for the cross. That's what he wants, is to be made like God. For us to be made like God, how? In the truth. After Jesus ascends into heaven, right after that, we're told what, what, what he was doing that for. It's so that he would send out people who would speak the truth in Ephesians 4 so that we might become like Christ in every way. Not in some ways, not partially, not a little interested, but we learn all of the truth so that we become just like Christ. And here in Galatians chapter 4, the same truth is being taught that Christ is formed in believers. This is why we're saved. This is the purpose. And it happens as we listen to the truth. Are they going to listen to the others and Christ won't be formed in us? Or we listen to the truth and what will happen is Christ will be formed inside of us like organs are formed inside of a baby in the womb. That's the image he's using as a mother. His preaching is doing that. You heard what's coming for us as Christians. In 1 John 3, this process of becoming like God will be completed whenever we, what, see Christ appear. Whenever we see the embodiment of truth. Paul is saying God saves us to make us like Him. And that means forming Christ in us. And that only happens in one way, and that's listening to faithful gospel preaching. Redeemer Church, I am in anguish to form Christ in you. That is my goal. By God's grace, I really believe that's my goal. My goal. That's what I'm laboring for and the elders are laboring for and and those who are approved as teachers of the word are laboring for. That's the goal. Not to make much of ourselves, but to form Christ in you. And I would appeal to you, if you are a Christian What is the most important thing in your life? Well, it's Sunday at church, so you know the answer is Jesus. And it is Jesus. Don't live like the world where where the world acts like the most important thing is where I live, what my job is, what school the kids get into, 
how much money we make so that we can retire at this age. That's not it. The most important thing to a Christian is Jesus. And so God gives to Christians churches that are led by motherly ministers. You all know a mother's defining characteristic is giving birth, giving birth, right? That's what a mother is known by. They're the only game in town, so to speak. They're the only ones who can do this kind of work. And so are faithful gospel preachers. They're the only ones, by God's grace. You need preachers if Christ is going to be in you. So for your sake, I'm appealing the way that Paul was appealing, that you would find, pray for, and even be thankful for ministers of the word who are like this. Do that for your soul's sake. And also care about this for other people. So I'm going to give you two final encouragements. You should look for ministers who are devoted like mothers to laboring in order to bring life. God's children must grow or else they are not his children. That's why he says in verse 11, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. That's why he says in verse 19, I'm doing this until the work is done. Until Christ is formed in you. God's children cannot grow outside of the womb of gospel preaching. You cannot grow if you're a Christian outside of you listening to the word preached. Because God would form Christ in you. And ministers of the word, like Paul, labor in preaching. So that's the first thing. Find ministers who are devoted, like mothers, to laboring to bring life. But then the second one is find ministers who are tough like mothers. Because it is painful if you do this work correctly. Like childbirth is anguish. So is doing this work. As a mother is in labor, pushing her child out is painful. Motherly ministers are laboring and preaching so that Christ might be formed in believers, so that you might trust Him more, so that you might know Him more, so that you would turn away from your selfishness, so that you would be able to identify what are the gods that you are turning to and ministers are helping you to turn away from those things because those things would destroy you. It is anguish at times. Because Christians sometimes resist this formation of Christ. Just like the Galatians do. 
just as mothers are crushed by miscarriage. It is a crushing pain when people we love turn from following Christ. So this is the way Paul ends it in verse 20. I wish I could talk to you differently. But I'm really confused by you right now. And so I want to leave you with that that charge to keep yourself in the faith by staying under gospel preaching. Or to put it this way, be done with the law or you won't get Christ at all. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take this word and cause it to bear fruit. Cause these beloved people, the people you love, to continue in the faith and to not be enticed in any way to teaching that would lead them to depend upon themselves. God, put to death in all of us, including me, the desire to be made much of. And give us faith in the man. And follow him all the way to heaven. We pray this for his glory. Amen.